You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Detroit and WRDT HD on WMUC HD3 or listen on the worldwide web at WRDT560.com. The materials and information provided are for informational purposes only and are not intended for use as diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of a health or other problem or as a substitute for consulting a licensed medical professional. Some concepts presented herein may be theoretical and have little or no scientific substantiation. Users are advised to conduct their own diligence. Welcome to Ask Mike's Up. Learn about a variety of life-enhancing subjects. Today we delve into holistic healing and whole food nutrition with the Natural Health Authority, Jason Eagle of Strategic Healing. And now here's Jason. Okay, everybody, and now here's Jason. Hello, this is Jason Eagle, your Natural Health Authority, with another show. And um, let's start off with the, the basics. My name is Jason Eagle. I am a what's called a QRA practitioner, quantum reflex analysis practitioner, and a licensed massage therapist, uh, licensed in many, many different types of body work modalities, uh, deep tissue medical, um, everything, uh, uh, cranial sacral, all kinds of stuff, meaning if somebody needs to work on you, someone needs to touch you in terms of to move things, um, uh, release things, assess things, these different types of things. Um, that's what it is. It's a holistic approach of being able to treat your healthcare with what you eat, what you think, what your body moves like, all of these different types of things. My company is Strategic Healing. Um, you can go to my website, strategichealing.us. I'm on my Facebook page live right now, which is that strategic healing. And later I post these shows onto my YouTube channel, which is Jason Eagle QRA. And you can find me on podcasts on any of the podcasts, which uh, Spotify or, or Google podcasts or any of them, um, Amazon, anything you can think of. Uh, uh, and you will find uh, the name of the show is Healing Matters, Healing Matters. And that's how you find it. So this is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority, and we're going to get into answering some questions, some questions that have built up in terms of um, questions about different things of health. So let's start with the first one. This is a, a lady named Cindy, and she had a question about fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia, if you don't know what it is, is it's a lot of body pain. So fibro, uh, let's break the word up. Let's get into what we call the entomology. Entomology is, uh, what does the word mean? And fibro is, you've heard like fiber. So like a fiber, meaning it is, uh, you know, a fiber would be something that you would make, like say cloth out of, or wood would be fiber, wood fiber. Good example is like wood fiber. Um, and when they're referring to this fibromyalgia, which is myalgia, meaning it's like pain. My stands for muscle, but or just body or flesh pain. So it's flesh pain, body pain, because your body is becoming more fibrotic. Okay, let me give you a good example. This is your body muscles and especially your connective tissue. Because this is one of the top things that it affects is what's called the connective tissue or what's called fascia. Fascia is another word that like if you're in building, that's the outside of your house or that's what's, you know, they, the, what you, we see on the outside, those boards that are painted or whether it be aluminum or whether it be, 
um, vinyl siding. That's what's called fascia. Fascia is the outside of it. Okay. That also refers to your body, which is now fascia is, it's this connective tissue that when you look at it under the microscope, even in its normal stage, it, it looks like it's webbing, uh, that's kind of haphazard. Now, underneath that, if you were to see, say, your muscles, let's say you see an arm muscle or a heart muscle or something like that, which is covered by this um, saran wrap-like material called fascia. Muscles have, like, if you think about wood, you know, when you have, when you see like a wood floor or like, say, a beam, you see that there is the lines of the wood. If you're looking at it from like a circle cut, you see the rings. But if you look at like a long board, what you're seeing is these lines. And these lines, they have some natural kind of weave to them. And sometimes they have knot holes. But that's an organization. That means it has a flow to it. It has, they're all moving in the same direction. That's what muscles look like, okay? Now, those muscles are surrounded by a connective tissue called fascia. Now, if you were to look at that fascia, that looks like instead of it being organized, it's disorganized. It's like webbing on top of webbing on top of webbing. It's kind of almost looks haphazard, right? So I like to describe it like this. Fascia is this connective tissue that wraps every single muscle every single organ, every single bone, and your whole body. So there's what's called the superficial fascia, which is it's underneath your last layer of skin. And it literally looks like this. If you were to take a person's skin off their body, and let's say um, before you get to the muscle, so imagine like there's skin and then we have muscle and then we have bones and all this other tissue. So imagine Underneath your last layer of skin that was removed and a person's body was dipped in wax. So let's say you take a Barbie doll and you dip it in wax and it coats the whole surface and it's every single bit of it is all and it creates like a shell. That's what's called the superficial fascia. Now that layer then connects to every single muscle is individually saran wrapped. So it's kind of like think about hot dogs in a, a, a package. So muscle fibers are, each muscle fiber has its own, kind of think of an individual hot dog. A hot dog is like this meat that has a skin around it. And that would be, let's say, a muscle fiber. So let's say muscle inside your arm. Now, but that's also in a package. They're connected to each other. Now, when they're not frozen, if you bend the package, those little wieners inside there, those sausages, whatever, they're able to move across from each other. They're able, they're not stuck together. But if you were to take that package and then stick it in the freezer, now it becomes all frozen together. And now they all move together as a block. Now, fibromyalgia, imagine this, is imagine you to have like a case of hot dogs, right? That now then you dip in water. So there's water that's all over the individual packages. Now put that whole box in the freezer. Now, not only are the individual packages or the individual muscle or uh, um, what you call hot dogs are frozen together. So they're stuck together. It moves as a mass. But now all of the individual packages are stuck together too. And it's one great big block. That's kind of what fibromyalgia looks like. When a person has what is a diagnosed case of fibromyalgia, if they were to, for instance, do a biopsy on you, they would look at you and go, oh my goodness, it looks like you're all glued together. 
Now, another condition that would be, let's say, inside a woman's uterus or inside her belly would be, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the word, but um, I'll come to it again. Um, uh, endometriosis, that's right. Endometriosis is similar to this, where it's when a woman has endometriosis that has spread throughout her organs, it looks like this fibrotic tissue. It looks like they are all scarred up and then the scar like imagine a person's skin has been burnt by a um water or a fire when their skin heals it's all like kind of weird it's different and then let's say they have their elbow has gotten burnt those are the people that can't open their elbow up it's been glued together so think of fibromyalgia as your whole body is like that and so when people have really bad cases of fibromyalgia what it is is there's something that's going on that's affected that tissue that connective tissue and now instead of that connective tissue being something that holds everything together, but holds it loosely enough together so that it can move apart from each other and slide on each other. It's all glued together. So there's many causes of fibromyalgia. Okay. Now let me tell you one of the, so, but again, going back to the word, it refers to if we were to look at your insides, you look different and you look like you've been kind of all glued together. And then that glue starts to tighten up and tighten up. And so if a person were to say clench their jaw all day long, all day long their jaw would hurt. Okay. But if a person were to be so tense that all of their body is squeezed like that, then their whole body would hurt. And one of the classic symptoms of a really bad fibromyalgia is... A, like clothes hurt, or I know women that have had fibromyalgia and their children came to hug them or just brushed up against them. And they're like, wow, why did you hit me? That hurt. Why that's happening is because the nerves, because see the nerves have to go through this connective tissue. If the nerves, like for instance, we have different types of nerves. Some of the nerves are, you, you sense hard pressure. Some of them you sense light pressure. Some of them you sense temperature, so hot and cold. Um, and then we have pain receptors. Now the pain receptors are kind of, that's the body says, I need you working the most. Now, when a person has been in some where the tissue is super, super tight, or in particular, this connected tissue, what's happening is, is all of the other sensations, the light touch are all fed into the pain receptors. And so the light touch actually didn't hurt you or the pain from um, like the wind blowing on you. I know people that have had fibromyalgia when they're sitting in the car and it's the winter time and you turn the heat on, the wind blowing on them hurts because it's like, it really does because it's sending off these pain fibers. So one of the top things that has been shown to be fibromyalgia is number one, it's a sleeping disorder. There's something going on. If you ask any person with fibromyalgia, especially women, it's like, do you have a sleeping? Yes, they all will answer, I don't sleep through the night. Even if I take my sleeping pills or whatever it is, I still don't. Or I wake up at 3 a.m. It's a classic thing. Um... Now, then we break up what is the cause of sleeping disorders. So there's two things that can really, or three things, but let's start with the two. Number one, you should always be suspicious 
of a sleeping disorder, which then turns into fibromyalgia as, as being sleep apnea, meaning are you the person that stops breathing in the middle of the night and you either snore and stop breathing or you don't snore and you just, you're breathing sh very shallow. So for that, when a person has fibromyalgia, it's always recommended they have a sleep study. Now you can actually get a sleep study on your phone. If you have an iPhone or an Android or whatever, you can go to the, um, what is it, uh, the app store, or let's say you have an iWatch. These or one of these like Fitbit type of things, they actually have them set up where you can put an app on them that can monitor your sleeping. And those are actually pretty good in order, rather than having to go into the office and sleep in their place, and which a lot of times they have to do multiple times because you just don't sleep very well with these electrodes and stuff hooked up to you. So for that case, if a person has a, as a, a sleep apnea, the best thing to do is get treated with a CPAP machine. It's a machine that makes you breathe so that you don't stop breathing. Because if a person does have sleep apnea, what's happening is, is they're holding their breath multiple times during the night, which causes a release of stress hormones and causes their body to be very, very tense. And then the stress hormones cause high levels of cortisol and stuff like that. And that's what's making your connective tissue grow that way. So it's just growing because the hormones are, are dictating that. Another thing that would be a sleeping disorder would be people that have constant urination, meaning I have to get up and go pee five times a night. And so you never sleep more than like two to three hours at a time. Or a person that has insomnia and just sits and watches TV and whatever, or, or even lays in bed watching TV with the TV on all, all night long. This is something that what it does is, is it can cause these hormones to be produced uh, in the body, which are these stress hormones. So for fibromyalgia, uh, you need to, first of all, rule that out. And if they, if you do have sleeping disorder types of things, if it's urination, then you got to fix the bladder. And there's ways to do that. You address by working with the bladder. Um, and then if it's the, the sleeping disorder of um, sleep apnea, get that diagnosed and then get it treated. Um, and there's, you know, the, a lot of times insurance will cover, but there's a lot of people that don't have insurance and, and the CPAP machines have become much, much more, much affordable. And there are a lot of things that are related to, um, uh, sleep apnea. They're very, very dangerous to your health. It really raises. So the fibromyalgia, if it's coming from a sleeping disorder like sleep apnea, it's a canary in the coal mine. It's an early warning sign that telling, it's telling you, Hey, listen up, dummy. You know, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be rude, but that's what the body does. It's it's gripping you and saying, like Lassie, it's saying, you need to pay attention to me. I'm going to put your body in pain so that you address it. There's another thing that's related with fibromyalgia, which is is very, very well known. And that is it could be a virus called Epstein-Barr or the monovirus or the Coxsackie virus or the hand, foot and mouth disease. They're all related. They're all a similar type of viral type of thing. A lot of times people have an Epstein-Barr, which is related to like mono. And then it goes dormant, but it's always just kind of living in their system and it's creating an immunity response. So if it's a virus, what's happening to your tissues, especially your connective tissue, is it's literally a response to an infection. So viral infections, I've talked to them about them a lot. They're very difficult to treat in many different respects, but they're very easy to treat in terms of dietary and lifestyle. And that would be 
one of the number one things that we know is lysine is an amino acid. Lysine is an amino acid that comes, all the amino acids come from protein. And so whether it be protein of, let's say, some meat or fish or eggs or cheese or, or even protein that's in, let's say, broccoli. Broccoli has lots of protein or chia seeds. So you can go animal-based, you can go plant-based. It doesn't matter. Protein's protein. And what's inside protein are all of these amino acids. One of the things that we know is that high arginine and low lysine foods, which is a very common thing that most people eat. The Western American diet, if you look at just what everybody eats, it's usually very high on the arginine, low on the lysine. And one of the other problems is, is the people that are the health nuts. So the people that literally eat lots of nuts, people that literally do lots of peanut butter or almond butter or something like that, they could be doing this damage because even though those are good foods and they're they're eating them raw or whatever, they're very high. So almonds are one of the worst. They're very high in arginine and low in lysine, which means you could be feeding this virus. So, but there's other foods. So, you know, dairy is, if you can handle dairy, dairy is one of these th foods that are really good balance in terms of higher lysine, lower arginine. And when we have more lysine than arginine in our diet, what it does is it makes those things go dormant. It, it makes it so that those viruses essentially die out. And if the reason that we have body pain is because of this viral load, then the antiviral diet, uh, you can go to my website, you can get it, you can contact me, I can send it to you. You can also get lysine, you can get it at the health food store, and I recommend like lysine is like 1500 milligrams um, on an empty stomach first thing in the morning. You don't want any food to go with it. Again, this is not a drug, it's not even herb. This is a amino acid that we get from, so you're going to double but double duty it by taking excess lysine as well as eating lots of lysine and low arginine in your diet. I've seen that have huge thing to do with fibromyalgia. Um, those are the big top ones to really consider of what is going on with the fibromyalgia. Because sometimes too with fibromyalgia, you would say, well, why don't you just go get a massage? Well, I've had a lot of people with like, no, that hurts. It hurts. It's, it hurts to be touched. Now, but once you start fixing some of the underlying causes, then it's good to then start getting some body work, to have some, one of the real uh, very powerful things that you can do if people can stand it. And then after you get the pain to go away from their body, then their body can stand it, is this connective tissue work that I do, which is called um, uh, trigger point therapy. Um, uh, this, uh, another technique is what we call skin rolling. So you know how you pick up a cat and you can roll their skin? Well, there's a technique of connective tissue work, um, uh, neuromuscular therapy and other things, but it's a technique where you, instead of like a lot of massages, you'll think that, well, it's nice to put oil on and you want to have a nice smooth sliding, like a Swedish massage. This is the complete reverse. You want to have a pull on the skin. You want to have a drag on the skin. You want to literally pick up, you know, people like a cat. 
you, you know, and you want to grab their skin and twist it because what you're doing is you are releasing this connective tissue and this connective tissue, because if it's become all scarred up and everything, it's like a wrinkle. You need to unwrinkle people's bodies and like wrinkle relaxer, you know, like there's these different things that you can put in a dryer and what it will do is will relax the fibers so that they're not wrinkled anymore. That's what good connective tissue work is, is it literally is like being able to reach inside your body and iron you out, which then reduces the pain signals. So this is a full, full blown answer on what fibromyalgia is. There's some other things that go into it. Uh, a lot of times it can also be a food allergy because fibromyalgia is oftentimes, so if it's Epstein-Barr or if it's a virus, or if it's a food allergy, that means it's also your immune system. Your immune system is attacking. Um, the same thing happens even with uh, the uh, sleep apnea. Many times sleep apnea creates your body to constantly be in an immune stress. It thinks it's fighting an infection. And what happens is it attacks your tissues. And your tissues that are surrounding your muscles and organs and bones then become really hard and really unmovable and squeezes your body almost like you are an anaconda squeezing yourself. And that's why the pain hurts. So another thing that's really good with fibromyalgia is magnesium. Magnesium is a natural muscle relaxant. And many people with hard muscles or other problems of pain is because their body has been in pain and their whole, when a person's guarding against pain, you hold rigid. You sit on the edge of your seat. And if you sit on the edge of your seat all day long, you're going to be in a lot of pain because you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And now many people have a magnesium deficiency. You can't help it. The muscles literally cannot relax because that chemical or that magnesium's element, that element is missing in your body. So by replacing it, people are able to go, whew. you know, one of the biggest things is the heart muscle. A lot of times when people are dealing with blood pressure issues or let's say panic attacks or something like that, the heart is a muscle. And if the muscle does not have enough magnesium, it won't relax and it gets stuck in a contractile state and doesn't open up completely. So the relaxation of the heart muscle so that new blood can come into it. So hopefully that answers your question from all angles about how do you treat and where do you start with fibromyalgia? Again, if you really want to get for sure, you can come in and get tested. Come into my office. This is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority. Um, my number is 734-985-5891. And you can even schedule appointments and come in and see me in my Auburn Hills. Some people also, I'm, I, I just got calls from people out in California. I can do um, over the phone. I can do Skype. Um, I can really help people even from a distance. Okay, so this next question we're going to go to is Jenny and her question is on an anxiety cough. Okay, so it's not just a cough, it's an anxiety cough and I've heard about this many many times. I've dealt with this. I know exactly, you know, and there's many reasons at why it is and uh, but let's get into it. So the first thing that I would say is an anxiety cough is, let's say a person gets into an anxiety, you know, condition. And that's the the roundabout that I'm going to get into this one. This is Essentially, you're saying that you're triggered. You get into a, a environment or a situation and it stresses you out. And then these stress hormones go in and what happens is, is your throat will then start to tighten up. 
which literally will create that kind of tickle in there. Um, sometimes the the alveoli or the actual little air sacs in your lungs, you get what's called a bronchiodilation or constriction. And not dilation, but constriction. And what happens is you don't have enough air in your lungs. And so the coughing is literally trying to kind of get you to increase your amount of oxygen. Okay, so again, it's triggered. So um, I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that you can do to to um, treat it in, as far as herbs and other things. But let's first address that, which is, the first thing you can do is start observing yourself. Oh my goodness, it's when I go into the store. So this has happened to a lot of people lately, which is going into the stores, whether it be the masks or not the masks or being out in public and stuff like that. Sometimes it's people, let's say, for instance, getting into a test. Some people I know people have been dealing with, let's say, when they get on the road. Uh, sometimes it is when confronted by a boss or something like that. Sometimes it can be all of these different issues, but the first thing that you need to do is address it or notice it. It's like, oh, it's when this happens. Observe yourself and observe you're being triggered by that, meaning it's your body's doing it. Your body is reacting to something, okay? And that's important because it helps you to kind of identify that, oh, it's when these situations happen. And so then the first thing you do is you have to make a choice, which is, okay, do I avoid these situations? Okay. Do I just leave? Do I just make sure I don't go to that store or whatever? Um, or if I have to deal with it, do I just observe myself dealing with it? I'm still going to be hang, having that anxiety cough, but now I know it's because of my boss or now I know it's this. Now, observing it, people go, well, that doesn't fix it. Yes, it actually does. It actually does because it gets you to, first of all, understand where it comes from so that you can start to identify with it, okay? That's a huge thing. Let's say it's, you know, bad news or let's say it's every time my my girlfriend brings over that, you know, or my, uh, my daughter brings over that boyfriend. I don't like him or something like that. Start to uh, observe these things and know, oh, I'm being triggered, okay? So there's some things that we can also do, which is if we then start to notice that, then before these things happen, there's a couple things that we can do. Number, like for instance, my wife and other people I know, dental is an issue. Dental is an issue that will cause anxiety for her. So she makes sure that she takes what's called the tranquinol. The tranquinol, well, the night before helps her to sleep, but you can also take it during the day or before an event. Let's say before I'm going to have that um, uh, interview, okay, if that's what triggers you, then I'm going to take a number like maybe four or five or six, like maybe about 15 minutes beforehand. Now, it's not going to make you drowsy. It's not going to be a drug. It's not going to be something like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to pass out. No, it just reduces the anxiety level because it acts as a neurotransmitter balancer. So in particular, this jujube flower that's in it or what's called Zisyphus. It also has lobelia, or not lobelia, but um, I forget the name. It's one of the um, very, very, valerian root. That's right. I always get those mixed up. Valerian root is a very powerful sedative. But when it's mixed with some of these other things, it doesn't have that same sedative type of properties, meaning it's not going to make you feel like you're going to pass out. Okay. Another thing is hemp. 
Now, this the Premier Hemp Extract that Premier Research uh, provides, it's 55 milligrams per milliliter, which is like two dropperfuls, which is plenty. That's plenty. Now, this is an, a whole food hemp extract, which means it has all the natural cannabinoids, including trace amounts of THC and all of the terpenes. This is a cold process, which means it's compressed with cold CO2. So it means it's not been heated up at all. And I've had people say, well, I'm okay with the CBD, but I'm a little bit nervous. And how can that be legal? Well, it is legal in the state, but also because when you cold extract THC, THC has to be what's called carbonized, which means it has to be heated up. So if you were to, for instance, let's say eat like, you know, a pot plant or something like that. You're not going to get high off it. Now, the pot brownies, you do because that oil has been heated up. It has the THC and you will get this type of high-like feeling. But when you, for instance, make a hemp extract that has uh, all of these constituents but have never been heated or cold CO2 extracted, that means you get the benefit of the THC, which is just a trace amount. I think it's like 0.2% or something like that. Very, very low. But why do you want that in there? Because it has all of these, it's a neurotransmitter. It acts like part of your nervous system. And the reason that hemp can work with anxiety and things like that is because it is part of how you were made. And what the hemp does, the CBDs, there's multiple different types of CBDs. There's the THC. There's also the terpenes. And when you get into the science of that, that's the smelly stuff. What you're trying to do is you're trying to fix your brain. You're trying to remind your brain. Essentially, I call the CBD like the mother, which is mother held a baby and the baby, you know, was being stroked and was being cuddled and the baby sucked on its thumb and the baby just was like, ah, went back to sleep because it's in mother's arms. Now the CBD or the endocannabinoids are, comes from the breast milk. And so a human is, is if I'm not with you, you should be able to do this for yourself. So when you're an anxiety type of thing, a person who is in a stressful situation that doesn't have, let's say, an anxiety cough is because they're able to release their own hormones and calm themselves down. So an anxiety cough is also, too, is um, it's one of these things like it's almost like a, a Freudian slip, meaning a person whose anxiety cough is like they're actually yelling. They're making a lot of noise. And again, when a person's in an emergency, they would be, help, help, help. They'd be yelling. Well, a person with an anxiety cough is essentially yelling for help, but not really yelling for help. So sometimes it's also a psychological thing, which is you're not really speaking up. You're not saying what you really need to say. If you're uncomfortable with something, if something's happening to you, you need to learn to speak up. And that's where we then get into some of the other psychological type of stuff through the body, which is this is breathing exercises and meditation. You need to be, people need to learn how to release your own hormones and chemicals and use your own, like with, you know, um, would it be uh, when a person's having anger management, so anger management teach you how to um, count, you know, count to 10 or something like that. Okay. That's an anger management type of thing. Now in, in meditation or breathing exercises. So one of the top breathing exercises was just, just a basic square breathing, 
Look into that. It's like four seconds to inhale, four seconds to hold, or four, like a count of four, or some people do three. So I do four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Two, three, four. So you inhale four, you hold it four, you exhale four, you hold it four. Then there's some where you can actually hold it longer, hold the breath in longer, which you're storing oxygen. And then there's some where you can hold the breath out longer, meaning creating more. Like when a person says is, is tending towards hyperventilation. So rather than breathing in a bag, you just hold your breath a little bit longer. So you keep doing that counting inside your head. Now, there's another thing in terms of meditation. Meditation, the word really means just kind of mulling it over. So like, you know, people studying scripture or poetry could be meditation or singing a song could be meditation. But one, one of the problems with those things is you already have too much chatter going on in your head and too much voices and too much going on. So for, let's say, anxiety, cough, it would be you want silence. So good thing is, is there's two other meditations that I really like. And, and take the religion, take the spirituality out of this. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, meditations is not, and I'm not talking about praying to anybody or make, saying a mantra or anything. This is just silent. So one of them is just this, what's called the silent prayer. Get yourself and sit down in, let's say, a room, a quiet room or something like that, and sit in a chair and just kind of be comfortable, sit upright. You don't want to pass out, you know, and then just close your eyes and then just breathe. Do that breathing and just try and clear your mind and just think about nothing. And when you do have a thought, just pass, let it pass through you and just try and be silent. There's another one that I really like, which is go in a closet or go in a place where you can make it completely pitch black. So a lot of times that people have, let's say, a closet inside their bedroom that you can close the door and then close the closet. And sometimes maybe if light's creeping in underneath the door, you can put a towel in there. Find a place in your house like where it's completely pitch black. And then just sit in there for a little while and do the same thing. Just close your eyes and just do some good breathing and just try to just shut everything out. And you're training the body, the mind to basically... Um, Go to a relaxed state. You'll notice that your heart rate will go down, your breathing rate and stuff like that. And it's you're training your brain how to remember how to do this. So hopefully you can start doing this. So it's not like, you know, when a stressful thing happens, you have to run away and go inside a closet. You'll learn how to do it when you're in the midst of it. That's the goal. Be is not so that you have to just always be dependent upon, let's say, the herbs or even the meditation. It's so that you learn what it feels like when you're calm. And and it's just as simple as just the breathing. When you're not calm, you're breathing faster and shallower. When you're calm, you're breathing deeper and slower. It's just as simple as that. And so it's, um, and then there's another thing that I also recommend. Now, this is a person, if you have high blood pressure, then you can't do this one. That's the tyrosine, the L-tyrosine, which is an amino acid. And uh, for people who have normal blood pressure, the L-tyrosine is spectacular because it produces what's called phenylalanine and what's called dopamine and serotonin inside your body, which means your own 
cool out, chill out, honey bunny, the relaxation and peaceful and well-being hormones as opposed to the cortisol and all this other stuff, which is the panic ones. So sometimes the tyrosine is so low that by supplementing with the tyrosine, it's like, you know, and this is where a person where you've tried the meditation and the all the other, and they still don't work. Um, a lot of times it can be a chemical imbalance. And one of those chemical imbalances is either tyrosine or B vitamins. A lot of times it's B vitamins. They're very low on the B12. They're very low on B1. Um, a number of these. So a good B vitamin has been great for them. This is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority. And I'm going to take a quick commercial break and I'll be right back. our good health. Diabetes, asthma, pain, and other underlying conditions weaken our ability to stave off viruses and heal even minor scrapes and cuts. This is why it is so vital to heal, not just treat, chronic health issues. It is possible to overcome underlying health issues and return to a strong and healthy state, and it can be done naturally without the inevitable side effects of medication. But first, you must make that choice to be healthy. Your next step is to contact Jason Eagle of Strategic Healing Center at 734-985-5891. Jason will get to the heart of what is really causing your underlying health issues. Then he'll create a customized plan that will get you back to your natural, healthy self. Get on the path to better health. Call 734-985-5891 to make your appointment with Jason Eagle of Strategic Healing. Or go online to WRDT. Asking the experts and click on strategic healing and tune into AM560 WRDT every Wednesday afternoon at 1 for healthy living advice from Jason Eagle on Ask the Experts. Okay, everybody. So we're back. And so this next question oh, before I go into, I'm going to answer your question, Gina, if you're listening to me and some other ears. Okay. Hi, Gina. So um, I'm going to answer this question about your ears. Um, but let me first, before I forget, let me talk about this is um, that very soon, get ready, public, they're going to up the numbers on the COVID. Okay, they're going to, they're toying with it, but I'm going to prepare you for it. I'm going to prepare you for what's, you know, what it really means, which is, they say that the numbers, I'm, I'm up. Can you hear me? Are we there? Are we there? Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Good. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, I was saying about um, get ready for this increase of the COVID numbers. Okay. So we're at somewhere around 200,000 right now. Um, there's talk about increasing those numbers double to create 400 plus thousand before the end of the year. Now, where are they getting these numbers from? Now, I'm trying to prepare you because there's a whole bunch of people that are going to go, oh my goodness, it's like it's the second wave or third wave or whatever. And be prepared that they're not going to tell you. They're just going to let you hang with those numbers. Okay, where are they getting these numbers from? It's what's called the COVID-19 impact numbers. So what that means is they've calculated another 200 plus thousands of, let's say a person during, let's say when the COVID, when it was locked down, 
they were, they had a heart attack and they were afraid to go to the emergency room because they didn't want to catch COVID and they died at home. Or let's say a person had an anxiety attack from wearing a mask. Or let's say, you know, any of these things. These are, they didn't have it. They didn't die from it, but they died because of it. This is the sociological impact. And 200,000 is, is low. It may even include these, uh, you know, suicides and things like that. So, but that's what that means. That's where those extra numbers come from. And, but be prepared that they would put that out and then just go and not differentiate that, not explain that it's that because there's people that are going to assume that that means that it just either they lied to us about the numbers and that they actually died from the virus or something like that. But that's not it. It's these are the ones that we're looking and they're probably going to increase those numbers too, because if you really get into the COVID impact, is that it could really be quite a lot. And we know that there are excess, as of this year, they're reporting excess deaths. So it has had an effect, but um, there's the actual, and then there's the, you know, what we would call, let's say the socioeconomic impact or the sociological impact, fear-based reactions, these types of things that can cause death, which they have. So I just wanted to prepare people that, if you hear this, don't freak out because it doesn't mean what they may let you believe it means. And they're going to let people really believe that. And they're going to let people just, you know, we're just putting those numbers out there and, and you know, believe what you will. And they won't differentiate it. So I'm just preparing you. So Gina, I'm going to answer this questions about ears, the ears with um, earache, ear infection and earwax. So are they related um, yes, they are related. And I would say a lot of times with the buildup of earwax, when a person does not know how to properly remove earwax from their ears, or they, for instance, let's say, have chronic sinus infections or have some dental issues or have, let's see, a TMJ issue, their bites, their bite doesn't fit together. They're putting a lot of extra pressures and a lot of immune stuff that's going on inside the ears, which means then the ears will produce more earwax. The earwax is a way of your ears cleaning this whole thing out. And it's actually cleaning stuff out of your jaw too, uh, stuff that came from your teeth. So you can have like a person that got, let's say, a seed stuck in between their, their gums and it becomes a piece of meat and it gets, becomes infected. And you know, when you get that swollen gum. Now, a lot of it will go into the lymphatic system and then will go into what's called the parotid gland, which is a gland right side in your cheek, right in front of your ear. And then it can actually go into your ear. And so your ear produces earwax in order to get rid of excess lymph. So if a person's having lots of lymph problems in the eustachian tubes or ear, nose and throat type of stuff, they're going to produce excess earwax. Now, Everybody should learn how to remove earwax from their ears. I learned this trick a long, long time ago, and I'm going to give a caveat. You need to be careful. You know, don't just stick something in your ear willy-nilly. Be very careful. Now, most people are used to having the Q-tips. I've never used Q-tips. Q-tips, I think, are just, they're stupid. A lot of times, there are people that are actually having earwax plus the cotton that gets stuck inside your ear. And so now the Chinese know this very well. Like I, I go to this Asian market and right at the counter, they have one of these earwax cleaner. It looks like a little scoop. Okay. A lot of people in the other parts of the world, especially the Chinese, Japanese, um, the Koreans, um, they know how to scoop the wax out of the ears. Now I learned this 
and uh, I used a bobby pin. So my mom, you know, my sister, you know, girls have always had a bobby pin. You know how bobby pin, it's that, uh, that thing that, you know, you stick in your hair to kind of hold it together. Well, it has that round edge around it. What I do is I bend it open a little bit. Or I also found, let's say, you know, those pins, you know, like, a, like you would put like diapers on or something like that. There's the big ones. Now, when it's, don't stick the pin in, but we're talking about that round end where it's like a round circle. That's what I've, or the end of a bobby pin, that's what I've used to scrape those things out of my ear, carefully being able to insert it and scoop out chunks of earwax, okay, which has kept my ears very, very clean. And again, the, a big, huge part of the world um, in fact, it's, it's in many, um, nail kits. If you look like a men's nail kit from, let's say, you know, a vintage one, they have an ear scooper, which means it's part of our hygiene. Part of our hygiene is to learn how to clean your ears. Now, Americans, we've given people the Q-tip, which is impacted earwax, and it's made it a lot worse. And when you do have impacted, I recommend, you know, um, there's a, a number of different systems, a new liquid systems, which is you squirt the stuff into the ear. And, you know, one of the common things have been um, like, for instance, uh, some hydrogen peroxide into the ear, which bubbles up and stuff like that. I don't necessarily like that because people can, and it can make it worse. So first of all, learning how to clean the ears out. Now, if we're already at the stage of where we have ear infection, this is, I get this question about children a lot. My little child has, has, you know, these horrible, um, earaches. What do I do about it? These, you know, or the little kid has to have tubes in their ears or something like this. Poor little kids. A lot of times it's because they're the eustachian tubes. Those, a lot of times those kids that, um, are sleeping with a bottle or sleeping with Kool-Aid in their mouth and, and they fall asleep in the, in the crib and it just like pools there and it sits there. So don't let your kids have sugary think drinks, including milk or formula in, in the crib or in bed, you know, because that just sits there and it can become an infection. Um, but one of the things is, is this garlic oil. How do you make garlic oil? I've always told this is, is very soothing for, or they used to talk about sweet almond oil. So what you do is you get a clove of garlic, raw garlic. And if you got a garlic press or you can even just kind of like chop it up and then put it in like, say, like a, a paper towel or something like or cheesecloth, anything to squeeze it. You're squeezing the juice out of raw garlic. And just so you get a few drops, a few drops of that. And then you mix that with, let's say, olive oil. Or you could, you could go to the health food store and you could find this stuff called sweet almond oil and sweet almond oil. And what you do is you mix the garlic oil, the raw garlic juice with some olive oil or sweet almond oil. And then you soak a piece of cotton and then you stick that in your ear. Don't jam it into your ear. You're just going to put it into the ear. So it's like a child, especially when they're sleeping at night. And that helps cure the infection because it's an antibiotic, natural antimicrobial antibiotic. And a lot of times the pain is becoming from the swelling. Okay. So that's one of the greatest things to actually cure an ear infection is this garlic um, oil. Um, then the other things that a lot of times people do not make a connection with is the dental, is a jaw. So, you know, 
you know, only really good dentists will go, oh, your earache, man, that might have something to do with your, your jaws out of place. Or ear, nose, and throat guy will go, yeah, it might be your jaws out of place. If your jaw is out of place, then going and getting a bite splint. So a lot of times you can even go to the store and just get those boiling bite splints that they have for kids playing sports. That's enough to just keep the jaw apart because if people are clenching their jaw at nighttime, if they have eroded, if they're super, super tight, they've eroded away the articular cartilage, which means their jaw is getting deeper into that socket. And guess what's right behind that socket? That's the ear. The ear canal is right there. So literally people can be squishing the ear canal, which means it's squeezing the blood vessels. So that means the infection has no, not enough bloodstream in order to heal it. And so the pain can be coming from you have a reduced amount of blood flow that's inside the ear. And so for that, getting a correct bite splint and things like that. And then if eventually it has to turn into some dental restorations and things like that, that's that's the real answer for that is because, you know, a lot of times it's a mechanical issue. Ear things are can be a mechanical issue of the sinuses. So it's sinus because your sinuses, your nose is connected to your ear and connected to your eye and connected to your throat. It's almost as like it's a cave system where they're all connected through these tubes. It's like it's all one cave. It's all connected. And it's also connected to your gut. So a lot of times ear infections is also related to just figure out where the infection is locally. Um, same thing with the eyes. A lot of times people are having eye problems, like the dry eye. If you have people that have constant dry eye and they have to go on those eye drops or something like that, forget about the eye drops, you know, figure out where it's coming from. And a lot of times it's coming from mechanically, there's stuff being squeezed too much in there through the dental or through sinus infection. And so sinus infection was constantly blocking off the blood flow to the, um, uh, the tear ducts. And so the tear production is reduced because of being squished because of infection and stuff like that going on in the nose or in the ears or in the throat. Okay. All right. Now, next one we're going to talk about is Emily Lyme's disease. I said I was going to deal with this one and this one I am going to deal with one. Okay. Lyme's disease, if you don't know what Lyme's disease is, is it was named after a county in Connecticut, I believe, called Lyme County. And it's really, it came from ticks. Okay. Now, ticks have been around there and it really only appeared really about the 70s. Now, there's some arguments. Was, has it always been around? Did we just not diagnose it very well? But it then starts to spread. Now, here's the thing. This is that this last year, I've heard that there is actually a class action lawsuit against... Um, whether it be the government or whatever, is because the thing with Lyme's disease is that it's morphed, it's changed, and it's spread, and it starts spread, and it's the ticks are getting infected. The ticks have a is a what's called a spirochete. Now it's more than just a spirochete. Now it's morphed in terms of over the past twenty years. Now it's increased in terms of now it involves a bunch of other co-infections. And what the lawsuit is, the class action lawsuit, or they, they're opening up, they want to start questioning, investigating it, is it's possible. It looks like something escaped out of a lab. It looks like something was created and either they were experimenting with ticks in order to spread a particular type of uh, disease, right, um, as a weapon, 
as a weaponized form, which means if a foreign invader comes in, how do we stop this foreign invader? If the Russians come in and invade us, is how do we, you know, they're marching out in the fields, how do we get rid of them? God knows what they're thinking. But there's a lot of evidence that states that, that there's enough evidence to question it and saying it's possible that this thing was, because see, it, it didn't exist a long, long time ago. Again, there's some still arguments. Well, it kind of did, but see, it didn't because these levels of type of infections and in terms of what it's doing to the immune system, if you've got Lyme's disease really bad and you have, let's say chronic, meaning it's been in your body for five, 10 years, something like that, it is it can be really nasty and it can really dissolve your bones. It can create a whole host of these immune responses. So first of all, one of the things that we know about it is that we do know that all of these co-infections is um, related to different living life forms that, that when the tick bit you, then it went, its saliva went into your bloodstream and now it infected you. And then it starts growing inside your body. So one of the top things that are the really different is the viruses. There's a lot of weird viruses that kind of come with it, okay? So one of the top things to do with Lyme's disease is would be um, is uh, the antiviral. Really getting on the antiviral um, the because that's the viral componentry to it. Now, the spirochete, which would be a parasite part of it, there's some specific antiparasitical programs, and there's lots of different things. Um, the parastat which is, that's an Indian holohandra, this herb that has been shown to be really good for like the single-celled organisms or the small uh, roundworms and things like that. The paratosin, which is uh, uh, still pretty much the classic um, wormwood and clove and a number of other things. And those goes after like, say, the liver flukes and things like that. Um, uh, then there's also mimosa, mimosa paputica, which is, it's a, it's a flower. It's a tree flower that grows here in America, grows all over. Uh, it's beautiful. You know, where they get that, that term mimosa, like, uh, which is orange juice and champagne, kind of named after that flower. Well, it's an herb that has been shown to be very, very anti-parasitical. Um, so going that route, there's Dr. Marshall often talked about, and I've seen, I've known people who have treated this way, which is what's called the HCL, which is, Hydrochloric acid you take to digest your food. But what you do is you build up the stomach strength so that you can take the hydrochloric acid on an empty stomach. And we're talking about large doses on an empty stomach because what happens is the hydrochloric acid will get into your bloodstream and it will eat up these things. It will actually eat up these other living life forms. It will dissolve them, dissolve them like protein. And I've known a number of cases, many cases actually, where that's how they fixed chronic Lyme disease. Um, I also highly recommend people learning Rife Machine, uh, Royal Rife. There's the Rife Machine. Um, Dr. Kevin Connors, He's out. he has a, um, a, a, a clinic out in, oh, where is it? Um, Oh, but Minnesota, out of Minnesota. And he treats a lot of cancer, but he also treats a lot of Lyme disease. And he can also treat it remotely, which he, you know, you can get a, I know local people who have the Rife machines and it's part of Rife is, is what station, which, how do you, I dial this thing is. This is an electronic machine that sends electromagnetic waves, almost radio waves through your body. And one of the things that we've been able to show is, okay, think about it this way. 
a soprano lady holds a crystal glass in her hand, like a champagne glass or a wine glass, and she goes, and eventually she shatters that glass. Why? This is true. This is all real. This is not fake. It's because the resonant frequency, she's creating a sound wave that's resonating at the actual same frequency that the glass is resonating at. You think the glass is sitting there still, but if you were to zoom in with an electron microscope, you would see that that crystal is not still. It's vibrating, wobbling, okay? And so what she's doing is she's singing at a audible tone of that tone. And then when you look at, like, if you look at, say, when a person does that, like, say, with a slow motion camera, you'll see that the glass then starts to wobble. And that's what happens with the Rife machine, is Rife machine is sending these waves through your body. And so these things that are living, your bacteria, viruses, the spirochete, all of these different things, their body are a crystalline matrix. So their skin, their cells, is like that, and they're living inside that. And if you can send a frequency inside the body, what will happen is it shatters them. They literally fall apart, boom, blow up, right? And you can dial in frequencies where we can target every single thing known to man, because it has a frequency. So when you find the resonant frequency, a Rife machine is able to send these, you don't have to poke your skin or anything like that. It's actually very, very, um, very calming. Um, uh, and there's a whole bunch of technology in the Rife and stuff like that. Um, Lyme's disease has also been responsive to infrared. Infrared, um, uh, infrared. Uh, let's say an infrared sauna, uh, these types of things. There's some newer bulbs. There's this company up in Saginaw. Um, they are the ones that manufacture the hex bulbs for like the hex tanning beds. They're a uh, manufacturer up in Saginaw. They are producing new medical versions of a super, super high level of a infrared bulb, which actually penetrates infrared deep inside your tissues. They're actually using it for COVID and it's still in clinical trials right now, but it can also be used for all of these other infections like Lyme's disease. Um, another thing that's been really helpful for Lyme's disease is hyperbaric therapy, being able to go into a hyperbaric chamber and flood your tissues with a lot of oxygen and so that you actually are able to build up a more strength so that your immune system can fight it and the oxygen actually kills it too. So um, there's a lot that goes into Lyme's disease. And if a person, I would suggest if a person does have a Lyme's disease that they've had chronic Lyme's disease and it's been diagnosed. Now, it's the other trouble with Lyme's disease is the actual test is there's the, the most doctors do what's called the Western blot, which is, is woefully, there's a lot of false negatives, a lot of false positives, which means you have it, but it didn't show up on the test. So the doctors don't believe you. Then there's another test. The real test is, that's the most expensive one, but it is the most definitive, what's called the PCR. That's what they're using. This quick PCR test is what they're using for the COVID. Uh, a polymerase chain reaction. And all the ones that they use for Lyme disease, it's not quick. It's uh, very, very uh, expensive because it takes a long time. Um, so the ones that they use for Lyme's disease is not a quick one. It's not the same one that they're actually using. Well, it's a PCR test. But anyways, um, getting a diagnosis. If you did do get an accurate diagnosis, I would, and you've had chronic, and it really has, a, I know people's lives that have been ruined because of this. Yes, I want you to get healthy, but uh, I would look into actually this lawsuit. I would look into 
do I have a case here? Do I have support for this? Because there's people where this could be lifelong. This could be where it's going to be lots of bills and it's already been lots of bills. And we still don't know enough about it because there's a possibility that this thing is a really, really nasty version of, um, you know, their plan. And, um, and I'm not implicating, I don't know enough about it, but I know enough about that that's what has been purported. And it's been purported enough that there, as I said, there are lawyers that are working on this that have created a possible class action lawsuit on this. So look at that. All right. This is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority. Looks like we're the end of it. I got uh, someone uh, on my uh, YouTube, or I'm sorry, my Facebook said, I use an infrared three times a week, haven't gotten a Rife machine yet. Um, the Spooky 2, that's another, it's a very cheap version of a, uh, of a Rife machine. You can get, it's called, it's called Spooky 2. Um, yes, the Spooky 2 is very good and a particular Rife machine, the real Rife. Um, but I like the Spooky 2. Uh, it's way cheaper. Um, and you can, it's all about dialing in those frequencies. Um, hyperbaric treatment. She's been hoping to try fight, but there's, yeah, it's hard to find, but they're there. They're around here. And finding the hyperbaric chamber people, um, is another thing if you've been dealing with Lyme's disease or these other things. So this is Jason Eagle, your natural health authority. Thank you so much. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody. Um, Facebook, you're still here. Hey, Emily. Yes, it's good to see you. And no, I'm not a doctor. I, that's an honorary title. And I get that a lot. And thank you very much. I'm not a doctor. Um, but um, yes, I've had a lot, heard a lot of good stuff about the spooky too. Um, keep looking for the hyperbaric. I can't really tell you. I don't know where you're calling from. I don't know if you're here in Michigan, but, um, yeah, the Roy, the, um, there's different, what is it? The real rife or true rife is the one in terms of if you're going to get a standard rife machine. Um, they are the most expensive, right? But you can find them. You can rent them. Um, these, but you can also find a person that has that. Um, the true rife will, you know, basically poo poo the spooky two and other things. I don't think, you know, I'm not going to support that. I think that there's a, a lot of people that can do technology and this proprietary ship in terms of this is better than this. Sometimes that's true. You don't want people that is making junk and, and cause you wouldn't know the difference. Um, but the spooky two, I've, I, I too have heard a lot about it and I've looked at the specs of it and look at what's possible with it. And, um, I think that it's, um, it's good. Um, yeah. Hi, Shannon. Good to see you. Okay, guys. Until next time. Bye-bye.